Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, before we go any further, let me just pray for this online experience for really wherever you're tuning in from. Uh, join me in prayer. God, I, uh, I thank you, Father, that uh, on the back end of a, of a long weekend, for many a good weekend, for others a hard weekend, Father, we all, like any experience, Father, we're coming in with a variety of emotions, a variety of uh, feelings and uh, reasons even for tuning in. Um, Father, some of us are alone. Some of us are sitting in a room full of people. Some of us are in a room full of people but feel alone. And uh, Father, we are all here for different reasons, forced, willingly, whatever it might be. Um, so Father, I am praying, um, Lord, on, I'm praying on December 24th that you would imp impact people December 26th and beyond through this whole experience. Um, Holy Spirit, use this, use this format, use it all um, for your glory and your purposes. Amen. Uh, if you're tuning in, you are tuning in because you're watching, uh, but if you tuned in on uh, December 24th and watched or were live in this room uh, for our Christmas Eve uh, services, uh, you will see that I am wearing the exact same outfit uh, because it is December 24th when we're filming it. So you can take your, your judgment, roll it up in a ball, and just throw it out the window. Because uh, next year, I'm going to dress up like this guy. Uh, this is uh, uh, Charles uh, Blooden. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's old, and he's not allowed to tell me. Uh, but this is a dude uh, that uh, was a, tight a daredevil tightrope walker uh, and uh, dressed. You can obviously see he dresses like, like a boss. Uh, he's, he's best known for tightrope walking uh, across Niagara Falls. He, he set up a rope uh, made of hemp, nonetheless, uh, that was uh, 1,300 feet uh, long. Uh, it stood 190 feet above the falls, Niagara Falls, and was only two inches wide. Uh, and he would go back and forth on uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, and, and this is a picture of him uh, getting, uh, challenging a group of people uh, to get on his back. And no one would. And, and uh, finally, legend has it that his, uh, his manager got on his back uh, and, uh, and they went across the falls. Uh, in, in probably one of his more uh, boss moves, uh, he, he, he was going across the falls, uh, going across the rope, and uh, brought ingredients and the, uh, the equipment somehow needed to make an omelet in the middle of, uh, uh, of the rope, made an omelet, and then lowered it down uh, to the maid of the mist that was beneath him. And uh, somebody on, uh, on the boat ate his omelet that he made up on the tightrope. And, uh, and one, of his more, uh, one of his more boss moves, he, uh, he was strolling on, uh, on, with a wheelbarrow. He went across the falls, and as legend has it, he got across and saw that people were, uh, were making bets on whether he would live or die. And he challenged people that were literally putting money out, saying that he would live. He challenged them, saying, if you think I'm going to live... I want you to get in the wheelbarrow. And, and people that were betting that he would live, confident that he would survive, confident that they would make money off their bet, they were not confident enough to get in the wheelbarrow. No one at that, on that day got in the wheelbarrow that Charles Blooden was holding and going across on a rope across the falls. There is something different, right, between being confident that he can live and get across the falls and being confident enough to get in the wheelbarrow. Like we would say those are two different types of confidence, but in its purest and truest forms, are they all that different? If you're confident he is going to live, 
shouldn't you be confident enough in its truest and purest form to get into the wheelbarrow? I want to look at today confidence of faith. Many of us are confident in, in our faith. Jesus is holding a wheelbarrow. Life for all of us at different times, perhaps all the times, whatever it is, life feels like a tight rope type walk, doesn't it? And what does it look like? We say we're confident in our faith, but are we confident enough to, to get in the wheelbarrow held by Christ? How does, how does Christ, if we're saying we're confident in our faith, how would, and Christ wants us, is inviting us into the wheelbarrow, how does Christ want us to express our faith? Charles Blooden said, you want to express faith? Get in the wheelbarrow. We're, there is not an actual wheelbarrow that Jesus is holding. But in everyday life, how are we to express a life confident in our faith? We're going to look at the, uh, at the book of Hebrews uh, the author of it is unknown, uh, but we're going to pick it up in chapter 10. In chapter 10, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his uh, flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. The author says that we are confident to enter into the holy place, to be, in essence, in the presence of God, to be, to be in the most holy place is really, uh, really left for those that are holy in and of themselves. But, but, but if, you have, if you have sinned, if you have done wrong, then you ergo are not holy. Ergo, you cannot be uh, in the holy of holies because you yourself are not holy. So, so where there is no penalty of sin, where, where sin isn't ratified, uh, you're still in a prison of your sin and, and you can't be in the holy of holies. This, this author is referring back to uh, Hebrew theology, Jewish culture, that, that at one point there was, there was this tent uh, that would be moving around, but it would be the tent that God and his spirit would reside in. And in that place, there was a place called the holies of holies and, and the high priest would go to, it was a sacred place. And the high priest would go, uh, go in there to make a sacrifice. There was a day called the Day of Atonement where, where he would take an animal sacrifice and, and spill blood uh, to, to atone for. They call, that's why they're calling it the Day of Atonement. To atone for the nation's sin, an individual's sin, the wrong they had committed. There would be a sacrifice. And if it wasn't the, holy, the high priest entering in, the person would drop dead. If, 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 the, if the high priest hadn't gone about the rituals or had, had, had sin in his own life, had things that, that, that he had not ratified or done, made right, that, that there, was, there was no shortage of reasons why the high priest himself could drop dead when if he entered in wrong, in a wrong manner, or if it wasn't him entering. And so they would actually tie a rope around his ankle so that they could pull him out should he drop dead. Later on, there was a temple that was made a permanent structure, and, and in that temple, the holies of holies was, was, uh, was marked off by a curtain. And, and, and when Jesus died on the cross, uh, in Matthew, it says that that curtain was torn, not from bottom to top, as if man was tearing the curtain, but it was torn top to bottom if, if, as if God on high was tearing the curtain. 
And so, so what this author, what the author is saying is that there was once something off limits. There was once something that, that, that no human on planet earth would think just to kind of willy-nilly go straddle, you know, willy, go inside, go, hey, enter in there. Like, no, you just knew you would drop dead if you entered. And now what this author is saying is that we have confidence, not in self, but we have confidence in the, the blood of Jesus Christ paying the penalty of our sins that, that what used to be an animal sacrifice has become the lamb of God that sacrificed sacrifice for all of humanity died for us and we can enter into the most holy of holy places with great confidence not in self but in the blood of Jesus and so our thought for this whole experience as you're watching this is confident faith must lead to confident living we're confident in our faith we're confident in what Jesus the 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 cornerstone of my faith is that unholy me has a savior, perfectly holy, that died in my place. And that I am seen as perfect and righteous before a holy God. Not because of holy Jason, but because of the holy son of God. And then I can have confidence and faith. And so our question becomes, if we have such a confidence, as the author of Hebrews is saying, how do we express it? What does it look like for us to get in the wheelbarrow? And so we're going to look at three different ways in which we can express our faith confidently. We'll share those three different things, and, and then with each of those elements, I'll share you ways in which it looks, what, what it looks like to live in that way, not so confident, what it looks like to live that way confidently. And so the first one is simply this, that, that we can be confident in presence. And this is kind of what the author has already been talking about. We're going, to, we're going to take it just a little bit further. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts, uh, with, uh, with our hearts sprinkled clean from, all, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It used to be like the holies of holies would be like, keep out, keep out, keep out. And now we're invited in. Come in, come in, come in, come in. Like where, where it used to be, hey, you feel shame. Ooh, you feel guilt. You, you've done wrong. Stay out, stay away is now. Bring it to the foot of the cross. I understand forgiveness, understand mercy, and, and you can come in boldly. Don't stay out, come in. Because faith breeds confidence. If you understand that Jesus has died for you, why would you stay out? If you truly get that, that you believe because of Jesus that God sees you as holy and perfect and that he wants you close to him, then you go close to him. The, the author mentions that uh, two different things in, in, in Jewish culture, uh, uh, ritual, religious culture, where where on the Day of Atonement, there would, they, would, they would make the sacrifice and they would sprinkle blood on the altar and that would, that would temporarily make one clean of their sin. He talks about this pure water. They had rituals on how you would wash and, and you could be temporarily clean, but you were never fully clean in the sight of God. That It was always temporary, temporary, temporary. And, and there would always be like this, this sin that would kind of linger. And, and, and God, throughout the Old Testament, would promise the Jewish people that there was, there was a once and for all sacrifice coming. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, that, that would die once and for all and that would remove the stain of sin. It would no longer be in a temporary nature that you were doing over and over again, but there would be a once and for all final sacrifice able to cleanse his people, clean his people once and for all through faith in Jesus Christ. And when that is removed... When the stain, the stain and the ugliness of our sin, 
that has the wrath of God looming over us is completely removed, then our conscience is clear. And that we can be in the presence of God. Not just because he says, okay, you can be in the presence of God, but there's, there's one thing to physically be in the presence of God. And there's a whole other thing to be present, mentally, cognitively, without any, without any guilt, without, with a clear conscience. And he's saying, come in, not with shame, not with guilt, not with fear, but understanding that God has removed the stain of sin and that you can come in free, confident, and bold to be in the presence of God. When I was in college and just a little bit after college, it was some of my darker days as a Christian. I, I was not living well. I was not living right. Uh, I would tell people, Yes, I'm a Christian, but I am running from God. I was free. I remember saying that at American Eagle to a coworker, like I am not living like a Christian. And one of the one of the darkest days, and maybe you can maybe you can relate to this, like where like you know, you know you're you know you're saved. Talks about full. I think in this past, like talked about full assurance, and like I knew it, but I didn't feel right being in the presence of God. And there was this this moment in my life. Uh, where I was living right, out, right outside of my campus. Uh, I was on the third floor of a, of a, a triplex, I guess it was. And uh, I'm, I'm in my room, and I, and I threw my Bible on the bed. And uh, I remember saying, Jason, read it. Jay, I sat down on the bed. The, the Bible is like maybe four feet from me. And, uh, and I was like, read it, read it, read it. I'm like screaming at myself. There's like six other guys in my house. And I wonder what they were thinking. And, and I walked I eventually just walked out of my room, and I think I just went for a drive, and I could not pull myself to truly read God's word and to, and to be in presence, be in his presence, be praying, because I felt such shame and such guilt. And, and, and I think maybe you've been there. Maybe you're watching online, not just because we're online only, but maybe this has been your routine for the last two or three years. Because there's just so much shame that you feel like, I, I understand that God has died for me, but he don't want me. What, what, what we're talking about here is, is the difference between shameful distance and a humble confidence to go close. When we're, when we're not confident in our faith, we'll, we'll say things like, it's been too long, so I'm just going to stay away. When we're feeling that shame, we'll say, like, I've screwed up and I don't deserve God. When we're feeling that shame and we're, and we're going to that place of distance, perhaps it's because uh, I used to go with so-and-so. Or I used to have this friendship, but, I, but for whatever it is, like I feel this loss. And there's almost like this shame that comes with loss. And I, don't, I don't want to experience it alone, and so I'm, not, I'm just going to stay away. Uh, I, I, if I go, if I'm in the presence of God, or if I'm in the presence of God's people, I'll have to deal with my sin, so I, so I, so I just sit in my sin. Or, or I'm busy with work, I'm busy with family, I'm busy, 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 and I will never make time for God, and so I, I stay distance. I don't go in the presence, but, but if, I, if I'm confident in my faith, and I understand my faith, then, then I can humbly approach God in all of his glory. I can say, yes, it's been too long, but my Jesus wants me and is waiting for me. I can say, yes, I have screwed up. Yes, I am undeserving. But yet my Jesus meets me, my repentive, broken heart with his merciful, loving heart. I'll deal with loss, not by staying away, but being surrounded by God's people and feeling God's love through his people. 
When I feel too busy for God, I'll know that I need to reprioritize, to prioritize the things of, of God. If there's sin in my life that is present and I'm not dealing with it and I don't want to be in the presence of God or the presence of God's people because I'll have to deal with my sin, no, I'll actually go to God's people. I'll actually go to his word and I'll deal with my sin knowing that there's a group of people dealing with their own sin as well and we're striving not to just ignore our sin but to be better together. When God is my confidence, when I understand God is holding the wheelbarrow and I trust it, I trust him to get me to the other side safely. I fall as one undeserving at his feet, humbled by his grace. The, the second thing that confident, uh, confident in the faith, leading to confident uh, living, the second thing is, yes, you're confident in, in, in presence. You're going to be in the presence of God, but then you're also going to be confident in hope. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That if that we're full of confidence, we're, if we're full of confidence, we're going to have a confident walk, not, not wobbly, not wavering. We're going to walk confidently into the presence of God. Why? Because he's faithful. Because the one promising to get us to the other side is going. We, have, we, we are in the wheelbarrow and we are full of hope that this is not going to end with a trip down the waterfall. We are hopeful because we are confident that this is going to end on the other side, on another bank, free, safe. Because the one who promises to do it, that we put our faith in, is trustworthy and will do it. That he's not going to abandon us. We're not going, we're, we have the hope that when we're in the wheelbarrow, that my God is not going to go, whoops-a-daisy, <laughs> enjoy your swim. That he, that he loves us enough to get us to the other side. And so we keep on keeping on with hope that my Jesus is going to keep on keeping on. I, I, there's plenty of examples of this like in everyday life, faithful Christians and whatnot, but, but as I thought about this throughout the week, there's actually an example in the Old Testament that I, I think just embodies this to an extreme level. King David in the Old Testament is somebody that is, is, is referred to after, as a man after God's own heart, like something that we would all love on our tombstone someday. But he's also a man that had an affair. He's also a man that uh, committed, uh, 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 committed adultery. Uh, he's, he's a man that uh, murdered people. Uh, he, he's a man that like, God gave a command. And he did the direct opposite. He, he had his stuff, but he's a man that, that, that when his own life, when he himself kind of knocked himself low and went low and did the wrong thing, that he would be broken. And what you can say of David is that very few things in his life did he repeat. That, that when he did this wrong, that he did it again. That he learned from his wrong and he got better. He learned from his wrong and he got better. He learned from his wrong and he got better. That, that he, there was a trajectory in his life that went up. And so he, 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 this hope that, this hope that he, like this confident life living upwards. But, but the scene that came to mind this week was this, this moment in David's life where, where because of his, really the own, his own crap in his life, that, that David's son was dying. He had a newborn son and he was dying. And David was distraught. David was fasting. David was praying. He, he put on a unique clothing to, to show misery. And then, and then it says that, that as soon as his child died, that David got up and ate. And as he, as he ate, his, his complexity changed. He, he went from mourning to a, to a sense of like almost cheerfulness to the point where his, the people waiting on him noticed a drastic change once his child died but a change for the better, which was like, this is counterintuitive. 
And, and David says, said that where his child is, someday I will be too. And it was this like hope against hope that my child is now gone. My child is no longer facing the hardships that he was facing here on earth, but now this hope that he is in the presence of God and this confident hope changed how David was, was going about his day to day. A, a hopeless Christian is a contradiction of terms. We are, as Christians, we always have hope. Paul will write that uh, a Christian can uh, hope against hope. When there, when there seems to be no hope, that we as a Christian always has hope. What does a hopeless Christian look like? What is a Christian that would say, uh, oh, I have confidence, but I'm not willing to get in. I don't have hope that I would get to the other side, so I'm not going to get in the wheelbarrow. What does what a hopeless person look like? A hopeless person says, my little won't make a difference. There's a big need before me. Oh, I got, I got two fish and, and a few pieces of bread. I'm just going to keep it to myself. It will never make a difference. A hopeless Christian will, will or not even, a hopeless person would, would say, I'm too far gone. There's no hope for me. A hopeless person would say, well, that person that I just opened presents with yesterday, they are so far from Jesus. There is no use telling them about Jesus. There is no hope for them. The co-worker that somehow the job keeps letting him or her back rehab after rehab, but there's no hope. Why? There's no hope. Be gone with that person. There's no hope for them. And we'll live as if the person has no hope. A person, a hopeless person will always see life half empty and always have that, that, that negative, uh, negative viewpoint. That, that hopeless person will scroll and troll on social media and sit in despair as they see story and story and story of despair, despair, despair. This, 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 this hopeless person will, will look at everybody else's highlight reel and say, that life is perfect, that life is perfect, and my life sucks. There is no hope for me. A hopeless person at the end of the day, that does not know Jesus has to look around and ironically say, this is the best it will ever be. But as we as Christians have confidence in Jesus Christ, hopeful that we're going to get across, and as we get into the wheelbarrow, a Christian that hopes against hope says that the greatness of my God's love, mercy, and grace says that there is not a single person on planet Earth that is out of reach of God's love. A Christian that is going to hope against hope when there is a mountain of issues before them is going to take their five loaves and their two fish, the very little that they have to offer, and put it in the hands of God and see him make much of it. The Christian that hopes against hope and is willing to get into the wheelbarrow, confident in their faith, knows that all pain and suffering in this life is temporary. The person that's going to hope against hope and the hardships of this life, getting into the wheelbarrow, confident of their Jesus, is going to look around. And for the Christian, this is the worst it will ever be because the best is always yet to come. So when we're confident in our faith and we get into the wheelbarrow, we're going to be confident in presence. We're going to be confident in hope. But then lastly, we're going to be confident in community. It says, and let us, let us, let us, let us consider how to stir one another on, one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
And all the more, as the day is drawing near, there, there is going to be this increasing need for encouragement. Aren't we there? <laughs> that I strive for good works, you strive for good works, and together we strive for good works. An unhealthy church, an unhealthy community is no longer striving to do good. And you want to try to live your life uh, saying, I'm confident in my Jesus, but I'm going to take this ride alone. <laughs> what? If you're born into the family of God, you're born into community, whether you like it or not. You can try to run from community saying that, oh, I'm an only child. I don't need, I don't need, uh, I don't need my brothers and sisters. I'm going to live as an only child. Well, you're not an only child. <laughs> God loves you as if you're the only one. And he loves a whole lot of people like that. <laughs> and so if you are born into the family of God, you are part of the family of God, you cannot escape it. And we have a responsibility. There are so many passages in the Bible that talks about one anothering, being, being part of something greater. There are commands on how to live amongst the community. You cannot obey your God and the commands of community living from your island of isolation. That we are truly better together. God it has not said that you're going to become a Christian and your whole life is going to be easy. That, that you'll, not, you'll not have hardship. No, rather, for the Christian, when you have the hardships of everyday life, just like anybody else, but you add persecution, you can argue that life is harder for the Christian than anybody else on earth. But instead of walking alone through hardship, you get to walk with the family of God and with the Holy Spirit. The author says, do not neglect. It must not be that you would neglect meeting together. What do you think the author, if we were to bring him into today's world, would look at the church right now? I think he would use a whole lot stronger language. Stop neglecting to meet together. You need each other. You need the encouragement. You need the prayer. God has given you this community as a gift why would you abandon it? Stir one another on towards love and to good deeds because there's power in being together. While I was on vacation last week, I'm, I was in Florida and, uh, and uh, there was some stuff going on back in New Jersey. There's a, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine named, named Lenny, uh, his son Chris. Uh, Lenny is dying. He, he truly feels like he only has a few days to live. And last week, Chris just felt alone and felt like he, he couldn't, couldn't handle. And so uh, they, these are, this is a text message that, that I was able to share with permission. And there was just this element of like, like I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we are family and uh, that we're all praying for Lenny. And uh, dad is back in his room and that uh, he's, he's doing better. And there was just this element of like this uplifting nature just by a text message. I mean, there was literally nothing that Gwils and I could do to make Lenny better or to make Chris better the, outside of that we could pray. And there was just something that, like, throughout this whole text thread that, and I'm in Florida, Wheels is working crazy hours for his job, that, that, that Chris is, is fighting, the, uh, fighting to be present with his dad as his dad is in the process of dying. And he's texting us, not that we could fix it, but that we could, that we could simply pray. Chris could run from the church, could run from God and say, forget him, forget all of it. Or he could go to the church, lean on the church, to be an encouragement in the midst of a parent dying, something that we all at some point face in our lives, most of us will face in our lives, the, the loss of a parent. And, and instead of running from the church, Chris was leaning into the church through a text message 
to be a part of an encouraging thread. When we are looking at the wheelbarrow, when we're on that tightrope, some of us are living a life where we're saying, forget Jesus, I'm confident in myself. I'm going to take the wheelbarrow. I'll get myself across. And that's one way to live. And there's another way to live where we say, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow and I'm going to be surrounded by other people in a wheelbarrow, all held by Jesus, keeping us on this tightrope to get us to the, the other bank, the other side. When I'm confident in myself, I am, uh, I'm going to be confident in my own strength. When I'm confident in me, I'm going to find community that supports my own truth. <laughs> that I don't like what you have to say, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to find whoever will support me in my, in my truth. When I'm confident in myself, I'm going to run when it gets hard. When I'm confident in myself, I'm going to prioritize me. When I'm confident in myself, I'm going to hold on to my pride and refuse to own my wrong that I've caused or how I've hurt somebody else. When I'm confident in myself, uh, somebody else has wronged me, but I'm going to hold the upper hand and refuse to forgive, refuse to love them. When I am confident in myself, I'm going to, okay, well, the church was good for a season because it made me happy, but now I'm going to go into this, this community because they make me. I'm going to basically just chase my own happiness and try to, instead of living for the good of other people. The Bible, uh, Paul will talk about how to live in community. And he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He talks about this definition of love. And as I thought about that this week, and I thought about somebody who's confident in their faith, who's gotten in the wheelbarrow, and is trying to live in a community of people that are confident in their faith, and they're also in a wheelbarrow held by Jesus, that this is a way of living Loving in a community that can only be done by a person confident in their Jesus. Here's, here's 1 Corinthians 13 is, is on, the, on the screen there. And if, and if you're going to live this way, you only live this way because this, this is a definition of love that goes against every fabric of our body. And you're only going to live this way if you're confident in Jesus among other people. That when you're confident in your faith, then you can be patient. And you can be kind. You can say nice things even when you don't feel like saying nice things. You can do nice things, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. That when you're confident in your faith, that you're not going to be envious that other people appear to be more blessed, but you're going to see your life as a blessed life, even if somebody else is blessed differently. You're not envious of them because you're confident in your own faith. When you're confident in your own faith, you're going to love the community and the people around you by not being arrogant and all about yourself, not being rude. And one of the rudest things I find is gossip that you're not going to talk crap about your other brothers and sisters, that you're going to be polite. When you're confident in your faith, your own relationship with Jesus, you don't need to insist on your own way. You're not going to be irritable. You're not going to be resentful. When you're confident in your faith, listen, you're not going to rejoice in wrongdoing. Oh, that's your truth. Good for you. But what does it say? It says, but you're going to rejoice with the truth that there is a truth set by God, that I'm not going to rejoice that you're trying to find your own truth, that I'm going to rejoice when you cling to the truth that is Jesus Christ. And when you're confident in your faith, you're going to bear all things that you're in this for the long haul. You endure. To me, this is what describes a person confident in their faith, loving a community. When God is my confidence, 
God's community is not a disposable community. Rather, it's a family that I battle with through life. I make, God and his, I make my God and his family my priority. And that's why we have this value that we're focusing on today, pursue community. We're pursuing a community that is, that's encouraging to my faith. Yes, your faith with God is deeply personal, but it's also deeply missional. It's meant to be lived out with other people. We pursue community that is encouraging to my faith. The, the community that I am pursuing are going to be people that draw me closer to God or people that I am on mission for. I'm not pursuing to be buddy-buddy to get marriage advice from people that hate God. Like, I, I'm, I'm looking for people that are going to encourage my faith. And if you don't encourage my faith, I'm trying to bring you into the faith, not live isolated. And so we said, confident faith must lead to confident living. It's going to be confidence in the presence of God. It's going to be confidence in hope and confidence in community. There's a group of people, the family of God, the church of God, and even Wellspring Church. There's a group of people that are in the wheelbarrow, full of confidence, presence, hope, community, inviting you in to join us as we, as we walk this tightrope of life with Jesus holding the wheelbarrow. And the story that I, I mentioned earlier about Lenny, Lenny is somebody that's near and dear uh, to me. He's somebody that uh, this year, uh, first week of February, I met with at, uh, at the, all the restaurants were closed and everything still or something. So I met with him in the food court at the Ocean County Mall. And he's somebody that uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a note on my phone with a, just a bunch of notes because I, was, it was, I got counsel saying, uh, Jason, you've suffered a lot of loss from an organization since and life and COVID and whatnot. Like you should go and talk to somebody that's suffered loss and just how do you, how do you navigate through loss? And... Uh, I had set that meeting up. It was probably a month out, and ironically, um, that meeting, or I didn't know it when we set it up, but that meeting happened a week after uh, I had gotten back um, from my 18-month-old niece's uh, funeral that had passed away. And there I am asking him about how to deal with loss. And Lenny gave me a whole bunch of uh, advice. He said, just, if it sucks, say it sucks. But life is, this life is temporary, and we know where our home is, and that was a perspective he shared. He shared this perspective with his wife, Shirley, that had passed away. They both, right around the same time, got diagnosed with cancer. And he's like, Jason, I prayed that I would outlive my, my wife uh, to be able to take care of her as, as she passed from this earth. And, and, and here, I, here I am now alone dealing with my, with my stuff, but this is what I prayed for, and God met me in that. Why would I complain about it? He just said a whole bunch of things in that conversation that really, really got me. His attitude of like, it is what it is. Like, this is what it is. I'm, I'm going to deal with every day as it comes. And at the end of that conversation, it was just something that, like, he gave me a whole bunch of pearls of wisdom, but then he had, he had, he had signed a blank check, and we couldn't, and, but then he didn't bring a pen with him, and we couldn't find a pen anywhere. I was using my tablet to take notes, and uh, he just handed me a blank check, uh, and he said, write it out for $500 and, uh, and, and, and give it to your brother, and uh, I was like, I'm holding a blank check, and somebody trusted me enough with a blank check to give my brother Justin uh, $500 as they were navigating through loss, and I was thinking about Lenny, and, and again, as Lenny only has a, a few days uh, to live, and it reminded me, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of end with this portion of, of the story in community. 
that as Lenny was fighting for his life, it was a few months ago that it was, it was kind of the beginning of what seems like the end. And, and Chris's son uh, came into our life group broken that he had just had a conversation with his dad that basically said, like, Dad, like, I'm going to be okay. Like, if you need to stop fighting, like, I'm going to be okay. And Chris was torn up. Chris was, was just truly broken. And, and we're praying for Chris. We're praying for Lenny. And at the end of the group, we kind of get done praying. We've, kinda, we've all kind of shared a moment with Chris. And we get up, and there's a group of us kind of eating and, and just casually socializing. And, I, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I see Rich Jennings, that tough firefighter. Don't tell his firefighter buddies that I'm saying this. But I see Rich get up and um, bear hug Chris. Because it wasn't too long ago that Rich was in the same boat saying goodbye to his parents, his mom. And so as somebody had walked that line and had suffered that loss, there was nothing that was going to make it better, but just that I've been there, this sucks, and you're going to get through. And I saw a big, tough firefighter give a, a guy who's in the Air Force, a big, tough Air Force guy, and they're just hugging and they're embracing and they're, in essence, crying together. And so that's what life is, that we do life together, that we do, that when we're confident in faith, we don't run from the community of believers, we cling to the community of believers. So I just want you to check out this video, and then I just want to say one more thing after this video. Check out this video. Okay, so... Um, we are getting ready to have our life group Christmas party, and here's what I want to do. Oftentimes, I get um, questions about life group, like, what's life group like? I'm not sure what it is. So tonight, what I'm going to do is I am going to um, talk to some of our people who are going to come to life group and ask them why they make life group a priority in your life. So when they start getting here, I'm going to talk to them. So we'll be back soon. So we're in life group right now, right? Yeah. You're, we're eating food. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making me first, Graham. Yeah, no problem. So why do you, you come to life group every week. I we, do. we love you have, having you here. So I why do. for you do you make life group a priority for yourself? Because you're my real friends. Mm. That's cool. Okay. Oh. <laughs> my, my heart! Oh my God! <laughs> It's like, the, it's, like, it's like the Grinch's heart that just, it's, it's expanding. Cool, that's nice. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I think we, you have these different instances where you experience God's love and to the fullest extent. And I think that the just having that community and that time to sit down, have not a last supper, but you know, have a supper. To, <laughs> uh, ha just having that with like people that are, um, have different, different walks and different, uh, different uh, viewpoints of like a particular I don't know sermon or anything anything like a Bible verse it, it ex expands on so much for just you to learn and to get closer to God and you you know you guys share pain and struggle and you're not you're just not alone you know um, I love that it's a community of people who share the same beliefs and like mindedness and it's 
people that I get to call friends and family where we get to hang out, enjoy each other, and talk about Jesus. What could be better than that? Agree. <laughs>
I also have a starting point starting up real soon, the beginning of the year. Uh, my wife and I are going to be leading that uh, at my home in Bayville. And uh, perhaps that is, a, that is a starting point to some confident faith and confident community that can all kind of merge together. Uh, and so that's going to be the beginning in January. Uh, both of those, the life, life groups and starting point, those links you can find below. Or if, you're in, if you get our emails, uh, you can, you'll find that in your email this week. Uh, but, or if you just want more information, ask some questions, you can email info at wellspring.one. Uh, we'll get you information about starting point and our life groups. I challenge you to embrace a group and do life with other people as you navigate through the brokenness of this world, confident in your faith. See you next week.